0: Today's show is brought to you by Granulate, an Intel company, and their new offering, G G-Maestro. Gmaestro allows you to reduce your Kubernetes costs by up to 60% with autonomous, continuous workload, and pod right-sizing. With Gmaestro, you gain full visibility into your Kubernetes clusters and eliminate overprovisioning provisioning without compromising performance or affecting your competitive SLAs. Gmaestro can be installed with a single line of code and provides visibility into inefficiencies within your Kubernetes clusters. Users can automatically apply... HPA, CPU, and memory request changes that can be employed to save up to 60% on compute cost. And the best part, it's absolutely free. Try Maestro yourself at granulate.io slash gmaestro to begin optimizing your Kubernetes today. That's granulate.io slash gmaestro to begin optimizing your Kubernetes today.
1: Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world.
2: Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is Aaron back on news again this week. And. Uh, for those that followed along, I was uh, did my first work travel in a number of years last week. I uh, had sales kickoff for my company. was out in Las Vegas. Uh, so far, so good. Knock on wood, no COVID. Uh, but had a good time, but uh, also realized I completely forgot how to travel. Don't know how to pack. Don't know how to fly. Uh, but we got through it. So with that, I'm going to jump into Cloud News of the Week. Uh, for our first article... A bit of an incident over at LastPass. Uh, So uh, if you're not familiar with it, LastPass uh, password uh, encryption platform, if you will. And they actually noticed some anomalies in their development environment and uh, did a forensic analysis of everything and did come to discover in their development environment, some of the source code uh, was leaked. But... Uh, nothing related to customer data, keys, anything else like that. So no exposure, no action items for anybody out there. Don't have to change passwords, do anything else. Just uh, wanted to make a note of that because obviously they're kind of one of the crown jewels, if you will, in the industry. Uh, getting at uh, the places where all the passwords are is certainly a target uh, these days. If I move on to the second news article, Teradata. Now, first of all, Teradata has been around in in the analytics space for a long, long time. And they've also been available on top of infrastructure as a service or IaaS uh, for quite some time as well. But they decided to up their game a little bit and get uh, more like the others in this space, such as, uh, Snowflake and some of the others and get into the SAS offerings. So, you know, maybe it's Snowflake, maybe it's Databricks, but these are incredibly popular platforms, uh, for data analysis and, um, Teradata just did not want to be left behind in the space. For the third article, um, Heroku, uh, in part of a blog, uh, announced a couple different things. Uh, they announced a public road roadmap. It's available on GitHub, and that's that's really nice. They announced uh, some student and nonprofit programs and, and and open source support. And again, those are really nice. But all that got the attention uh, was uh, what they're calling a focus on mission critical, which. Also means, you know, what doesn't get focused on? Well, that is the free product plans and inactive accounts. So they are going to start to do some cleanup and basically put a focus on the things that are making them money. And of course, rolling out some programs to help those in need as well. But this did cause uh, quite a bit of a stir in the industry this week. But, um, I think this is one of those things, uh, that I shouldn't say we saw coming, but I don't think it should also be a surprise either. So with that, that's going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. Uh, Coming up after the break, we have none other than Tim Wagner. And if you don't remember Tim, Tim was the the guy in the serverless space that smashed the servers on stage at serverless conf a number of years ago. And uh, we're able to catch up with him. And we're going to talk to Tim right after the break.
0: Datadog is a SaaS cloud monitoring and security platform that enables full-stack observability for modern infrastructure and applications at any scale, providing teams dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, UX monitoring, security monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, plus 450-plus out-of-the-box integrations with technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers aggregate all your data into one platform for seamless correlation enabling teams to troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place preventing downtime and enhancing performance and reliability get started with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com cloudcast that's datadog.com cloudcast and we're back and folks as we have talked about for a number of years and you know there's all sorts of different opinions on this but I think the reality that we've we've all come to, to realize over the years is that while public cloud has become this amazing thing, it's uh, you know it's changed how we build applications, it changes how we think about uh, you know kind of all sorts of a- aspects of technology. Um, what's also emerged is the fact that uh, we still have a lot of applications in multiple clouds. We still have data in multiple clouds. We're figuring out all sorts of new ways in which uh, we partner together, our applications, talk to other applications. So you know ultimately we end up trying to figure out on a constant basis a what does all this sort of multi cloud multi application multi data mean but more importantly you know how do we wrap our arms around it and and going forward as that sort of becomes the new normal you know, are there going to continue to be sort of better ways to to deal with these environments, to deal with the reality that, uh, you know, our businesses are, are somewhat distributed and, and uh, we need to have our technology sort of match the needs of the business. And so today uh, we get an opportunity to not only talk to somebody who is really a veteran uh, of the industry, has really been a, an innovator in the industry, but somebody who's really trying to take on this challenge. So really excited today to have Tim Wagner, who is co-founder and CEO of Vendaya. Uh, Tim, welcome to the show. Great to have you on.
1: Thank you, Brian. great, great to be here.
0: It's uh, you know, for anybody who's listened to our show for for a while, they know that uh, both Aaron and I were incredibly fascinated uh, with the serverless movement, with uh, with Lambda and a number of things. You were you were there at the beginning of that. We we joke around. It's been five or six years since you were on stage at Serverless Comp, uh, standing over the baseball bat, smashing servers, and really <laughs> finding that defining that era, defining that that technology paradigm. Um, but for folks who don't know you, or uh, you know, don't know of your background, give us a little bit of your background, um, and and then really what led you to to found uh, Vendia and really kind of get into this space.
1: Absolutely. So, um, well, as you as you say, I've had this 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 history with Serverless, and one of the one of the interesting things about, it, of course, we didn't have that word, you know, kind of back in the right. back in the day. You know, I got to I got to AWS and. You know, in that in that era, so so kind of imagine back kind of like twenty twelve, you know, building a building a robust, scalable, fault tolerant, just you know, distributed uh, application in the cloud, which you know, most, mostly meant building it on AWS EC two in those days. It took a it took a lot of engineering um, insight. It took a team of people who really knew how to turn raw servers and other pieces of infrastructure into uh, you know into one of these highly performing distributed applications and plenty of companies didn't have that, you know, didn't have that capability. So, you know, we, um, uh, there's kind of a long journey kind of from what I started on there into where we, where we eventually got to with uh, what became AWS Lambda and the, the, the serverless division at AWS, but it started from a real simple idea, which was, you know, how can we make the power of the cloud accessible to more people, more of the time, you know, without, necessarily kind of having access to uh you know that that team of sort of phds of distributed uh you know distributed yeah. systems professionals to go uh to go build it and uh you know kind of to dem- really to democratize uh, access to things like compute in the cloud and you know lambda was uh lambda was many things and it was it was a kind of a different business model for AWS it was a different computational model but at the at the core of all of it was this idea of simplicity right of taking away you know yes the servers but um but also the scalability and fault tolerance and, uh, you know, all those things that AWS folks are really, really good at doing, but maybe all the rest of us, you know, are, are not, or at least not all the time. And that was, that was, um, you know, now of course, uh, that, that feels commonplace. Practically everything AWS is delivering has a serverless flavor to it. Yeah. Um, but back in the day that, that felt, that felt foreign. In fact, um, you know, I think Andy Jassy's like, you know, first response to me was like, what do you mean? (laughs) It's not easy (laughs) to, so it was, uh, it was, uh, it was not an, it was not an easy sell (laughs) at the the beginning.
0: Yeah. I can imagine. And, and today you're, you're, uh, I mean, you've, you've moved on from that. I feel like we're, we're at a, a stage of sort of a, a new generation of, of uh, you know we've seen a number of a uh, really prominent um, AWS product managers leaders are now sort of taking on new challenges what what ultimately led you to 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 go off and, and start vendaya
1: yeah so um so so we'll, we'll, let's talk for a moment about what came in between there so yeah. i actually went from aws down to um, down to coinbase in san francisco where i was uh, was okay. vp of engineering and you know this is um so uh, just you know, caution to the audience here. Like, we're not going to be talking about cryptocurrencies, so you know, don't expect my you know my recommendations on on uh, whether to buy Bitcoin or not. Um, but it was it was it was relevant to what 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 eventually um, kind of led me to found the company because it gave me this ringside seat into seeing what was going on with distributed ledgers and kind of how they were being built and architected. And you know, things like uh, you know Bitcoin, Ethereum, but even private ones like Hyperledger Fabric, they are. Um, uh, I guess what you might call a one box deploy, right? Like they they run on a single server. And that has some advantages because you know if you're into crypto, you know that that means that server can live outside the u s, which can place it outside the you know the control of a particular nation state. But the fact that it can run on one machine means it also doesn't really run in the cloud in the same way. It can't take advantage of the cloud and it can only ever run as fast as one machine can run. So I always tell people like, you know the best and worst thing about Ethereum is you can run it on your laptop because that also tells you, how good it's ever going to be forget about proof of work proof of stake etc yeah so um so i got really excited uh you know working at coinbase and thinking about could we kind of put these two worlds together you know these this promise of of kind of blockchain right uh, and the thing about it that is amazing is you can take two people two systems two clouds two two technology stacks that have nothing else to do with one another and you can give them a consistent database experience Right. If you think of, think about crypto, right, like, you know, your holdings and, you know, your holdings are known to all the people who are running whatever those Bitcoin or Ethereum servers or whatever you have. Um, and And that was kind of the promise of blockchain. And it was this incredible promise for enterprises who have these data sharing needs. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll get into kind of, you know, sort of yeah. uh, what customers are doing with this, right? But, you know, all these enterprises got excited about blockchain, not because of the cryptocurrency part so much, but this idea that it could be a better way to build APIs, to have databases, to, you know, to share their data with one another. And then the reality of that, <laughs> the sort of the, the dark side here, right, is um, is it just didn't work well. Uh, Ethereum on a good day does about 14 transactions a second of worldwide aggregate capacity. You know, compare that with a single uh, account in DynamoDB doing you know hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of transactions a second. Right. You know, a lot of, lot of, and and for much, much less money, right? So a lot of zeros uh, separating those two systems in terms of their price performance. So I kind of asked this, what felt like this really compelling question. You know, could we, could we take the best of the cloud, right? The way something like Lambda or another or, or another managed service is built in AWS, and apply that to blockchain. And then similarly, could we take the idea of blockchain and go apply that to applications in the cloud as a way to take data and compute and spread it across different parties, different clouds, different systems, different geographies, uh, and kind of marry those two interesting worlds together. So that was that was kind of the the, the technical or you know product genesis, if you will, yeah. uh, of what eventually became you know Bendy at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. And it, and it, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, let's, let's put some of the underlying technology, you know, kind of to the side or, or keep it as an implementation detail. You know, the, the thing you hear from companies all the time is, is they go, look, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, uh, you know, my, my portfolio of applications, the companies we acquire, what one group of developers might want to do doesn't all happen to follow the exact same place. They're not, you know, like you mentioned, as much as as Andy Jassy wanted to believe that everything was eventually going to be in in AWS or as he used to say, like in the fullness of time, um, the reality was uh, whether it was for geography or whether it was you know for a data feature or whether it was for a price or whatever, stuff just happened to to be in different places as as well as as on prem, and and any given cloud was pretty good at at making an experience for themselves. But that didn't make it necessarily easier for the reality of what a customer had. So it feels like, you know, we we're, we're sort of left in a lot of cases with this sort of mess of the cloud's great except when I have to have more than one cloud. And it, it feels like what you're really <laughs> what you're really attacking is like, how do I, you know, deal with that second order problem?
1: I, I, absolutely, absolutely, and and in fact, it's a, you know, it's a great way to think about the nature of the challenge. And and I I tell people this all the time, like you can. To some degree, you can pick your cloud, you can yep. pick your business partners. You know what, you can't pick is your business partner's cloud, right? Like eventually, you end up, you know, if you end up having to share data with someone who hasn't made the same choice you have. And then, of course, you know, MA, large companies, I mean, best of breed services, there are lots of reasons people end up with a multi cloud or poly cloud strategy eventually, uh, either getting forced there or it happens by accident. I mean, there are lots of paths to it. But even in the best of worlds, even if you were an all in on AWS shop, no company works in a va- in a vacuum. Right. Uh, there's this wonderful quote out of Amazon Retail: eighty um, percent of our critical business data now lives outside our four walls. Right. Hmm. Lives with suppliers, with logistics, right? Yeah. With you know, with manufacturing partners, with all these other people. You know, the days when data started and ended its life in 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 your on-prem mainframe are are kind of gone forever. Yeah. And so, as you say now, like applications, like it or not, they're Really, multi-cloud, they're multi-party. Uh, not everyone uses those words to describe it, but when you start talking to them, you know, talk to a company like BMW. You know, thirty-five thousand parts go into a car from, you know, from hundreds of first-line suppliers and thousands of second-line suppliers. Um, and then those car parts sometimes go to subsidiaries, you know, like Rolls Royce, right? So they're crossing, um, crossing company boundaries, crossing, you know, uh, wholly owned subsidiary legal boundaries. They're crossing geographic and, and logistics boundaries. Uh, putting all that together, tracking all of that across all that complexity, you know, call it what you will, it is a you know, it is a multi-party, yeah. <laughs> you know, a multi-GO multi geo multi multi cloud application at the uh, at the end of the day, right. and. And everybody wrestles with it, as you said. It is. It remains in twenty twenty two one of the hardest things you can ask a team of developers to go accomplish. Yeah.
0: What do you find? So obviously you're you're engaged with the market. You're talking to a lot of different companies. At what point do they typically kind of say, "Look, my my pain point feels like it's such that you know um, what you guys do makes sense to start trying to figure out if it can reduce pain or or make things simpler? Like, is there a you know, is, is, is there sort of a commonality you're seeing a pattern there's, you know, that you see where they go, yep, we, we, we've tried to do this, or we're going to attempt to do this in which they go, yep, you guys should start helping us. Cause I don't think we can solve this ourselves.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and there are a couple of different ways to look at that, right? One is, um, what are the characteristics of that, of that problem? Like, mm-hmm. for example, our customers, uh, they're typically trying to do, uh, they're typically trying to share data, uh usually with a business partner, sometimes across, you know, major, if it's a big enough company, their internal departments or sub organizations, you know, can, can look like, can look like partners, of course. Um, And that data sharing usually has a few characteristics. Uh, It's real, it's real time. So we're on the, what you call might call the OLTP or the operational side of the house, right? Not on the, not on the analytics or or BI uh, ML side of the house. Um, So real time uh, it's, typically sensitive, like you wouldn't put it up on a bill, all of it up on a billboard, right? It's not a CDN problem. It's not a a one-to-many distribution problem. Um, And then it's usually trying to cross some kind of gap. Either it's you know between your supplier and you, between you and your logistics, between you and your alliance partners or loyalty partners, if you're an airline, uh, you've got someone, somebody there that you're sharing data with. And so you've got Inherently, in some level, a kind of a multi-reader, multi-writer problem to go solve, uh, and when you've got all those things put together, like that's a that's a that's a perfect use case for us. Gotcha. And you you know, in in kind of real-world terms, um, anytime you've got important transactions or workflows, and those can be real-world objects, like for example, you're building a car, you've got an airline passenger and a ticket that's gonna you know the person's literally going to be moving around in the air on somebody's equipment. Um, sometimes it's a, a virtual uh, piece as well. Right. So, um, you've got, you're paying a mortgage, you've got a mortgage servicer, you've got Fannie Mae involved, that mortgage gets bundled in a, into a security on a secondary market. Um, so the, it can be any kind of transaction where the workflow, the collaboration and the, and the data sharing is, you know, is critically important.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm curious about sort of the technology because, you know, when I, when I look at your platform and again, it, it's interesting, it, it feels sort of like, a maybe this is a, a bad pun. It feels sort of like this, this Venn diagram of um, a simpler way to build applications. It's, you know serverless is uh, at the kind of at the core of what feels like how applications get built. and then um, you know this this sort of global distributed uh, you know data data sharing platform in the back end. What are some of the technologies that are that are there that either get exposed to, to your customers or they don't have to know about but but are kind of providing this, these superpowers?
1: no it's a, it, uh, it, and and thanks for asking because the because the arc you know for me as someone who um you know kind of was 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 there for the serverless revolution and you know kind of likes being a builder this was <laughs> this was part of what was really fun uh, fun about it for me so uh I think about it as a few different pieces here you know at the core uh we've got to be able to store uh customer data and artifacts so you know we're using cloud databases so think Think for example, like Amazon Amazon's DynamoDB or or Azure's CosmosDB for the scalar data, uh, and then uh, file store. So you know S three or uh, Azure Blob Store, for example. Um, and then what's interesting is what we kind of what we layer on top of that. So uh, one of the things that um, that we need to do is make sure that all that data is consistent in all the different places it has to be. So that might be two different clouds. It might be two different companies. Uh, that might be both of those things at, at once. Uh, and so we have a, a data replication and choreography layer. So here's here's where I'll introduce the, 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 the B word. Um, so one of the things we use under the covers is a distributed ledger. So in much the way that like a conventional SQL database will have a write-ahead log, we need a way of shipping the right information to the right people in the right order and ensuring that it, it kind of gets there in a consistent way and stays consistent over time. So that's where distributed ledgers or, or kind of blockchain technology comes in for us, not as a—not as like a, an on-chain token or cryptocurrency, but as a kind of a, a, an important kind of behind-the-scenes piece of the way the data is replicated and tracked and then ultimately stored in each of those different systems. And one of the cool things about that is it brings together some really nice capabilities. So what, you know, what you might conventionally find as an application log, an audit trail log, you know, your application data, maybe a time series table kept separately, uh, we get to unify all of those pieces into a single experience for customers. And so that's one of the one of the one of the nice capabilities of the system. Yeah. And we for for customers, we try to make this feel as as simple as possible. So today, when you walk up to the cloud and you want a database, you basically say, look, here's my create table statement, dear cloud, please give me back a table that I can use. And we've tried to recreate that experience, uh, only we give you back a table that now magically kind of lives uh, with multiple parties in multiple clouds in multiple places, and yet still kind of keeps all the information consistent in, in all the different spots that it needs to be, but is driven off that same kind of schema you know, simple data model and schema at the beginning. And then we'll also generate uh, an API on top of it because our customers often want to be able to interact with us in, uh, you know, in an API-driven fashion.
0: Okay. And then and then the, the sort of serverless aspects of it or or are those really um because you're seeing more and more of these applications tend to be sort of event driven or is it just um you, you know they're they're such that you just don't want to deal with the hassle of managing servers
1: and infrastructure and, and all that <laughs> other stuff? Well, look, you know, there's a part of it. We we just did our SOC 2 compliance, right? There is a part of it, which is kind of nice where you don't have to say, oh, you know, and here's our fleet of servers and how we keep them, you know, uh fed and healthy and uh and, and secured. Um look, the serverless really kind of plays two roles here. Um one of them is uh is in the customer domain or the cus- the customer experience. And and that one I say with a caveat because Customers don't have to have bought into serverless in order to get value out of, out of what we've done. Like If you just want to call APIs, that's great. Yeah. You can call them from your on-prem server all day long if that's, if that's what you want to do. Um, but if you want to write run compute on our platform, we've kind of taken smart contracts out of the world of you know, solidity and kind of like these crazy hard-to-learn languages and pushed them back into the realm of cloud functions like AWS Lambda. That are much easier for customers to, you know, read, write, maintain, learn, et-, et cetera. You can, you know, write them in your own language and so forth. So they right. feel a lot more like a, you know, a conventional stored procedure in a database and a lot less like a kind of a, a kind of a wacky blockchain specific thing. Yeah. Uh, but 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 have a way. Still so have that capability of bringing compute on the platform. And then the other one, which I think is closer to your question, is we use serverless as. As our kind of implementation methodology, and this is kind of this is sort of the secret sauce for us, right? Like we wanted to build something that could have the capability of a distributed ledger or blockchain, with the massive data parallelization that you can get in the cloud, and that's something that is is best achieved with Serverless. You know, because we can spin up vast amounts of silicon and network capacity, use it to send data around all over the place. You know, write to databases, read out with this really really broad data parallelism. And then, boom, the whole thing vanishes if you're not doing any transactions. So we get all those that shine through, if you will, of, you know, serverless's tight cost enveloping and scalability and fault tolerance without having to recreate that ourselves, right? We get to stand on the shoulders of the stuff I used to do <laughs> back at AWS, you know, for Lambda and API Gateway and some of those other capabilities. Yeah. But that, par- that parallelism is the piece that, um, you know, is really, really powerful,
0: yeah and and you know to be to be perfectly honest with you, the reason I the reason I kind of kept poking at that and and asking questions about it is you know sometimes when we get a chance to talk to the people who who really you know a invented this stuff but b lived with it for a long time you have a really in-depth knowledge of of not only maybe what was always visible to customers or common use cases but but you sort of knew like here was the other potential that was that was there behind it and maybe it wasn't always uh, you know, didn't always become visible or people didn't know, but like, you know, I, I wanted to ask because I, I, you know, I also sometimes will, will talk to people and they go, well, our thing does serverless. And you're sort of like, does it, does it, does it really do something powerful? Is it, or is that just sort of a kind of a shiny thing you put on it? Cause it sounds cool. And, and it, I mean, you, you, you know, this stuff. So yeah, it's, it's cool to understand sort of the, I always love when, when, when people are like, look, there are so many things behind the scenes that we could unlock with this. And, and there's all these thoughts we have. So that's, it, it's cool to sort of, um, you know, get an insight as to where you go with that. Um, I, I, I'm curious, you know, anytime we, we talk about applications these days, especially like th- there's always a certain amount of like, is this something that's that's mostly for for building new applications? Do you find it has a lot of applicability? Because, you know, if, as we're talking about, you know, cross company uh, initiatives and, and, applications, you know, we're talking about like airplane ticketing systems or, you know, sort of supply chain stuff with parts, like those aren't necessarily just, you know, sort of brand new greenfield types of applications. It, it sounds like this has an applicability for, um, you know, things that are already in motion, but, but maybe can be, uh, rethought reimagined. Um, you know, there, there's new aspects of it that, that have to be evolved. Is that, is that fair?
1: Yeah, no, that, 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 that that's very fair. And, and, we have this little mantra that, you know, uh, uh, of uh, green apps, brown data, okay. right? Like the, the, the comp- companies are already doing this some way, right? Like by yeah. hook, by crook, uh, you know, we, and we could, we replace different things. Like, I mean, I, I have, I, I'm always happy to come in and replace a failed blockchain experiment. That's always kind of fun. <laughs> uh, but, but honestly, more often, like, you know, think about what, what the competition is, is the twenty-year-old EDI? It's the you know it's the aging ERP system that doesn't really work. It's the uh, a contractor built a, a public API for us, and it's not really working out. You know, in the in the way that we want it to. Uh, so we have an overnight SFTP batch job, right? And it and it gets things wrong twenty percent of the time. So then we have a crew of people who sit on top of it and remediate the outcome. You know, in a very manual way. That tends to be the kind of stuff that we're you know that we're kind of going after here. But honestly, like any place where people have public apis those those apis are doing something right they're they're generally trying to synchronize data with somebody else somewhere yeah. and so so it's a it's a beautiful big broad tam but you know we especially since we're a startup right we got to focus somewhere sure. so we mostly look at those where is there an enterprise with partners where they have already have an established business network they already have some established data sharing patterns but they've got some urgency around fixing it Either it's costing too much, it's taking too long. They want to make it, say, use do dynamic pricing, and they can only update the price once a month. Or, you know, they have they need a fleet of people to go fix the problems because you know the data is running ninety days behind. Um, Anytime you hear that, um, that for us is you know especially like you know on the sales and and go to market side, right? It's is like uh, you know that's that's our catnip. When we hear stuff like that, we're like, okay, we we can help with that problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no and I and I, I I like that that sort of turn of phrase green green applications and brown data. Um it it's it's easy to sort of remember but it, it does it, it does highlight the um you know you're not you're not completely starting from scratch but you you're you're kind of creating new innovation or new opportunities to to do interesting stuff. Um I want to ask you one last question cuz uh, it'll it, it'll come up um and you and I talked about this a little bit before we recorded. Um you know, it, it makes a ton of sense as we're getting into these distributed type of things. But um, as you mentioned, you know, you, you've seen sort of firsthand one of the ways in which blockchain is used, um, you know, for you know, certain types of, of financial things and crypto and so forth. And, and from purely a technology perspective, people would go, it's not the fastest database. It's not maybe the most efficient database. I, I'm curious as to why you may have chosen that versus, uh, you know, some of these other ones that are that are out there.
1: Yeah, it's it's a and and it's and it's a great question. Uh, and one thing I should probably um you know qualify is that what we what we didn't do was take an existing uh, an existing blockchain technology and then try to kind of put a bunch of lipstick on it and say oh you know we'll we'll find a L two batching sharding whatever solution to yeah. try to make it go a little go a little bit faster. Like it it really did require more or less throwing the concept away and kind of going back to back to square one and reimagining it from the from the ground up in the cloud and. You know, I, I hinted at a little bit of that earlier. Like, part of the reason is the only way to access, the only way to really scale. Imagine you've got a block with a thousand transactions in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a narrow pipe coming off uh, a single box, you can only pump that data in and out of the system so fast. You're I even mean, you're gated by how fast you can get that data on and off a single box. Mm-hmm. If you have a thousand boxes right? You can do it in in milliseconds. And so here's where the, the massive kind of uh, data parallelism becomes super, super important. But in order to do that, you have to allow yourself to use the cloud. And, and to be clear, there are always trade-offs, right? You know, this is the trade-off we made. We can't run you know, our stuff you know outside the public cloud on a single server in, you know, a, in, the third, in say, a, some third-world country that has relaxed laws around you know, what you're allowed to do there. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's not an option for us. Right. But that's okay, that's okay. Right. We're we're not going after a uh, <laughs> an altcoin here. Right. We're yeah. going, we're building a we're building a a solid piece of cloud and application infrastructure for companies that don't want to have to replatform their data themselves, you know, over and over and over again. And so that becomes a, a kind of a wonderful way to tie some of these things together like all our customers value time travel they all value an audit trail they all value uh, a clear way of understanding kind of who changed the data and when and act, you know access controls you know geo, geospatial sovereignty those are all the things you hear over and over again from a company and building a distributed ledger into this you know into the low levels of the system lets you give them that out of the box in the same way that building it serverlessly let you give them fault tolerance and scale and cost effectiveness you know out of the box yeah. so that's why those you know those two things became you know super important to us from an architectural perspective even if some of our customers have no idea kind of how the uh, how the hamster wheels are spinning when uh, in the back room.
0: Yeah, and that and that was the piece that was interesting as we were talking about it before. It 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 really almost gets back to you know the original things that that really intrigued a lot of people about about blockchain. It was the the immutability, the ability to, um, like you said, to be able to do you know, time travel and, and and what happened and and you know pure validation that that something happened and you've got multiple parties that need to. You know to be able to ensure that something's there, and um, so yeah, it's interesting to, to you know to sort of get back to the purity of, of what it was intended to do, and then like you said, apply it to uh, you know a much more traditional IT application data data environment. Um, last question: what's uh, what's the best way if folks want to want to engage with the team, want to get started with some of these things? What's um, what are some of the best ways to either you know engage with your team and pick their brain, get started on the platform, all those types of things?
1: Yeah absolutely um so you can go uh Come visit us, uh, uh, vendia.com, uh, or actually, or vendia.net. We're actually we just bought our our .com domain, So domains. We're <laughs> excited to start porting over to that. Um, and we've got a we've got a blog where we talk about some of the stuff like this. So if you're interested in things like, hey, is a blockchain a database? How are they the same, different? You know, what is Vendia up to from a research perspective? So we've got a bunch of a bunch of interesting information on our blog there. And then if you're a developer, or you'd like to get your hands dirty, uh, you can sign up for the platform. You know, get a uh, get a free trial there. We've got a, a free tier. Anybody can come and join and, and experiment with a bit. So, you know, love getting feedback and and love having people kind of try it out and, and teach us new things about what it can be used for. So, invite invite any or all of those.
0: Very good stuff. Good stuff, Tim. Uh, it's been it's been great talking to you. It's been kind of you know one of these days maybe we'll we'll do a look back. You you know after you guys go off and be successful, we'll do a look back as to you know how did serverless happen. But uh, thank you so much for the time today. Excited to see uh, what you can build. Uh, you've got an amazing track record as far as innovation and understanding the market. So thank you so much for the time. Thanks for teaching us a little bit. And uh, folks, uh, on behalf of, of Aaron and I, want to thank Tim for his time. We want to thank all of you for listening every week, for telling a friend, for helping us grow the show and grow the community. And with that, I'll wrap it up and we will talk to you next week.
1: Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.